It's time for the letter of the day. This episode of My Seminary Life is brought to you by the letter Omicron. Omicron is for Ameras, the letter Omicron. Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight. In today's episode, as we continue our study of ancient Greece, we are going to be discussing the topic of classical literature from this era. Now, admittedly, I am not the most qualified person to talk about this topic. There are many of these classical writings that I did not have to read in high school. I got through all of high school without having to read anything of the Iliad and the Odyssey in particular, which we are going to talk about here today. So I brought in a ringer. I, I don't want to say expert. You know, I don't want to I don't want to maybe oversell, but a ringer. I brought in a ringer for today's episode to help me talk about classical literature. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, making his My Seminary Life debut, Joe Skibby. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey Brendan, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Is uh, is Ringer a good description? Uh, Not an expert. I'll, I'll try to. I'll do my best to live up to it. Um, I I just enjoy uh, the texts. Try to read them and understand them. Uh, ask what they have to say, and so we'll see how that goes. All right. So since this is your first episode here, a little bit of an introduction for our audience listening today. Uh, first off, you are one of my many brothers-in-law. True. Actually, I don't know if I ever told you this. You were the one I was most nervous to meet. And it was something <laughs> oh. about the uh, the living in Germany. I had this idea in my head that you were very proper and like very like, you know, Okay. Well, well, well refound, a refound person, which the first time, one of the first times I saw you, you were wearing a bow tie. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Hopefully, I don't know if I lived up to or deeply disappointed all of your expectations. <laughs> um, I mean, like I said, I think I've told you this before, and you're, you're aware of this. You're Ron Swanson in real life. Maybe not as libertarian, <laughs> but you, you are Ron Swanson. So. <laughs> And that's uh, a good thing to live up to. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know. Well, I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, along with that, all jokes aside, you call yourself a Christian humanist. So before we get into our discussion on classical literature and the Iliad and the Odyssey, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what that means, being a Christian humanist. So what is a humanist? And what does being a Christian, how does being a Christian influence that? Sure. So <clears throat> humanism is, is a really interesting thing. I think when you talk to a lot of people today, uh, if you were to tell them that you are a humanist, most people generally sort of assume that they are uh, an atheist. Um, that just the contemporarily, those two um, sort of labels often live together. Um, I, I am not. Uh, so, 
humanism has is a really interesting sort of um, tag or, or label. Um, it's something that has existed for uh, for thousands of years. Um, it's it's something that has been a part of uh, Western culture. It, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of times. Um, with due to lack of like precise discussion and, and, and terminology, it gets a lot of times lumped in with things like liberal arts or, or other type of, you know, classical education or things like that. Um, and they, they are fairly distinct from each other. Um, they do have a lot of overlap um, and a lot of uh, they're like little neighboring countries where kind of <laughs> they like blur a bit, uh, but the humanities, um, I, I guess somebody that is a humanist is somebody who, uh, is attempting to understand the humanities, um, <clears throat> which is a bit of a cop-out answer. Uh, but so the humanities are um, generally more on the literary side of um, the sort of the, the discipline. So when you think about liberal arts, a lot of times they get confused, but liberal arts, uh, you know, it's sort of some of the more um, foundational, I guess. It, part of the problem is, is, the, as these have been around for for a few thousand years, uh, a lot of different definitions have been put forward. Different, okay. you know, there are like multiple different lists of what are like the liberal arts, right? The we kind sure. of have like the trivium, the quadrivium, but that's not like a monolithic thing throughout history. And it's the same with the humanities. What okay. are the humanities? Um, but they're they're generally things uh, like uh, history, uh, literature, uh, even even within philosophy. Philosophy is 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 humanist. Uh, kind of depending on, on how you define it generally things like like ethics and political philosophy the humanities are mm. things that that help us to understand what it means to be human um okay. and so as great as things like geometry and astronomy are for understanding the world and our place in it and and how it works um the humanities really focus on 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 who we are as humans how do we interact uh, how do we form lives together uh, so things like that those those types of questions uh, okay. really form the, the sort of uh, the, the base for, for the humanist uh, type disciplines. Uh, and it goes back, I mean, you'll, people like Cicero um, sort of okay. had a lot to say about the humanities and like how they form uh, citizens, um, you know, like their role as, as a Roman, um, all the way through to um, you've got Erasmus, who's like the father of, of um, the, the humanities, or I think that's the father of the humanities of Christian human, Christian humanists. Um, okay. So like his, his, one of his great emphases um, in, in the middle age or the middle ages in the Renaissance era, however you kind of divide that was the emphasis on languages, especially original languages. Hmm. The um, you, you see uh, with the Renaissance and the, and the, the reformation, this, this call uh, ad fontes, or ad fontes, however you want to say that, means back to the sources, right? As close as we can, we're okay. trying to read and understand uh, these ancient texts in their original languages as much as we can. I only have a tiny little bit of Latin, so it's not really necessary. <laughs> um, translation is great. Um, finding good translations for, for these texts is is, is just really helpful uh, for, for me and for, for all sorts of uh, normal people um, who aren't professionals. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's primarily literary. Um, it's, it's a, a lot of it is, is trying to understand what it means to be human. Uh, how do we interact? How do we live? How do we, you know, all of these different questions about our lives. Interesting. I'm glad you started with this point of 
being a humanist is not equal to being an atheist because like you said that is often kind of lumped together as a you know i i've been a christian i've been around the block for a while now when it comes to being a christian and the term secular humanist gets tossed around all of the time within evangelicalism as basically like the villain humanists are treated almost like the villain the back the secularist secularist humanist culture all these kinds of things but from my understanding of what you're saying here to be a humanist it's different from like anthropology or sociology where maybe you're kind of you're studying more like culture understanding cultural behaviors humanism sounds more like what does it mean to be a human what does it mean and particularly through like a literary lens all these other things you talked about some of the other liberal arts as well mathematics history uh political philosophy but like very specifically like literature literary reasoning is how someone learns how to be human within your like framework is that am i close in understanding Um, that so i guess when i when i say literary i mean uh books um okay so uh, so Aristotle's politics and the Nicomachean ethics are just as much, um, uh, humanist, uh, inquiries as, um, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey or, okay. um, or like the works of Tolkien, right. The things that, you know, even okay. to the modern, um, you know, you Flannery O'Connor and, and, and whatnot. So, um, <laughs> it's mostly just like writing of like, of these works. Um, so not things like, not that mathematics and natural science aren't, aren't written, but um, so literary. They're more meaning. theoretical. They're like more theoretical uh, stuff. Kind of. I yeah, it's, it's, it's a really difficult sort of thing to, so especially like trying to, trying to make clean lines uh, between, sure. you know, the disciplines and, you know, is it, really difficult. Like where does, where does philosophy end and where does, you know, uh, myth uh or where does history begin. end or where does myth begin uh is <laughs> is a question that's it's much harder to answer i think than a lot of people uh are, are we just kind of say oh that's 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 myth right the iliad is is myth and you know well mm-hmm. or or um you know herodotus is history um but <laughs> those those questions are are, are are a lot more complex um mm-hmm. so uh then then i think um, often get credit uh real quick on that point just before this episode i sat down with a a guest to review the movie 300 as a way to talk about like our our interest in sparta and look at some of the accurate moments inaccuracies within the Mm -hmm. the movie to the ancient culture but we did talk about how uh with herodotus and all these other ancient historians it is sometimes hard to tell when is it fact and when is it almost propaganda or legend or myth to uh, tell these stories? Um, so, yeah, I, I get what you're saying of like. There's some clean cut lines, but like everything it, you can't make like a very like it's not in a box, I guess is what I'm mm-hmm. saying. How does being a Christian influence that other than Jesus? How does being a Christian uh, guide being uh, humanist. Sure. So, um, I mean, when you, when you open the Bible, you can't get past the first, I mean, probably page or two, depending on how it's, how it's laid out without, um, without finding humans, right. On the sixth day, Mm. God creates 
you know, you know, male and female, you know, he created them in his image. Um, and there's like part of, part of this humanist tradition is, is looking at that and trying to understand what that means. Right. Um, like not just from the scriptures, like what is, what is Genesis? What is the author of Genesis telling us makes humans unique, but then, um, trying to, to understand that there is, you know, as a Christian, one of our sort of, I would say fundamental, um, understandings is that there's something distinct about humans from the rest of creation. Um, okay. But then what, what is that? Uh, and, and how, how does that work? Right. So in, you know, in, in the, like in the beginning is in Genesis, but like in, in like in the beginning, right. There's, you know, humankind is, is given the, um, uh, charge to, to rule over creation, to, to, uh, to act over creation. So like, what does that, what does that look like? This, this idea of, of governing, or so you want to talk about political philosophy, uh, you know, some people, talk about oh well politics is only necessary after sin enters the world um and i guess it partly depends on how you define politics but i also think god is giving humans a a, like this like charge over creation and even without even without like sin in the world like there would be this necessity to live together and to um to understand how to how to make laws uh regarding how we interact and all sorts of things so a, a lot of it has to do with you know, this, this charge that, that humans have over creation, the special position that humans have in creation uh, and trying to understand that, trying to work that out in a lot of different ways, right? The scriptures uh, truly are sort of, sort of, uh, I think it was Martin Luther who said, they're the norm of all norms. Like everything goes mm. back to that and we test all of our ideas against that, but the scriptures aren't exhaustive. They don't tell us everything that we need to know. Um and so at least I would say that I if your readers want to <laughs> light someone on fire, they can come for me um, and, and leave you alone. But, you know, I, I mean, I think that's, and I mean, the, the scriptures also exist within a certain context. Um, you know, the, the ancient Semitic world, the, you know, all the way through to, to the Roman empire uh, at, at its very beginning. So like these, these are situational things that the stories we're seeing in, um, you know, the history of Israel, uh, as they, as they move through their covenant with God, uh, they, they exist within a certain time and place. Um, and that's not exhaustive, right? I mean, none of us are shepherds. So to talk about, you know, the, you know, Jesus is even example of, of the shepherds. It, it, there's, there's a lot that we, we, we ought to learn from that, from, from the teaching of Jesus, but at the same time, Sometimes it's difficult to really in, inhabit a world that we don't, uh, and so being able to to read and to understand those and try to um, retell some of these some of these stories about our humanity in different ways, uh, try to understand um, how we interact, how we how we deal with ourselves uh, as people in in ways that are directly addressed by by the scriptures, um, but still. Um, try to measure by the plumb line of the scriptures is is really uh, I think. Uh, a major um, uh, sort of through line for, for the Christian humanists. All right. All right. I like, that's it. That's a very good answer because I mean, I I don't know why I'm judging if it's a good answer or not. You should be the judge of if your answer is good or not. But basically being a Christian humanist is looking to scripture for, for the answer, but understanding that, 
it's a, in places a very cultural answer. It's a very time restrained answer. And so we need to be open to studying what it means to be human outside of scripture as well, but always coming back to it as like the, what keeps us aligned. Would you say that's a good summation? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think, I mean, part of it is just, I mean, we're, we all do this, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, so there's, there's this quote, um, I think it's from like Marcus Aurelius, who says, you know, don't argue about what it means to be a good man, just be one. And I, I think mm. about that. I'm like, well, that's absurd, right? Like you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't, I, I can't be a good man. I can't be a good person unless I know what it means to be a good person. Like sure. you, you say like, okay, hey, I need you to drive to the destination. And you go, okay, I don't know where the destination is. It doesn't matter. Just drive there. I'm like, okay, well, that's not helpful. Um, <laughs> these, these, so these are all questions that we're trying, like we all want to be, Maybe I shouldn't say all. The vast majority of human beings want to be, you know, good, decent people. Uh, sure. We all want to live in in communities that are uh, safe. Uh, like some some of these are like fundamental like human desires. Um, and there's this sort of trend to say like, oh, like Christians they have they have prior convictions, and so we we can't really necessarily we we you know we, we don't need to honor that because they they're coming in they're not objective uh mm. and and yet i i find that to be uh exclusionary and i don't think it it's just like oh we need to be like critical thinkers and objective like think for yourself and i think well we all we all carry in our, our prior um convictions about about things right sure. i mean just i mean i think even to say that human beings are are, are special and and valuable is a prior conviction that christians have that i think is a, a good thing mm. Um, that isn't necessarily a, an objective thing to say. You can't point, you can't like say this as an objective hmm. reality okay. to like, everybody doesn't believe that. Right. Um, sure. You know, this sort of like, and it, uh, you know, it's hard because like what, what a lot of these words mean, right. What is objective? What is subjective? Right. Like you talk to mm-hmm. David Hume, he would say like, you can't, like you can't mathematically prove it. And so you can't, it doesn't really. Uh, um, so, but part of it is just recognizing that like, as Christians, we have uh, something to contribute to this, um, to the discussions about our, our communities, our lives, um, our, our humanity. Uh, we, we do come in with priors um, and that's, that's okay. That's good. Um, we need to do that, right? You, you shouldn't, I'm not, I, I don't ask anybody else to check their, their convictions at the door. Um, just like I would expect, not expect anybody to ask me to do so. Um, but to still be honest and to try to seek uh, the the truth uh, through that and to do so together. So listeners, if you can take anything away from this already really great first 20 minutes of this episode, take this to heart. If you hear someone's a humanist, don't panic. Get to know the guy first. Get to know the gal first. And you might discover all they're trying to do is just better understand what it means to be human. Let's get now into the literary side of things. You mentioned a few of these works earlier. Uh, we're going to talk more specifically about the Iliad and the Odyssey here in a moment. But what is what is classical literature? What is what's the typical reading list of a humanist? You know, what's the top? What's our uh, top ten greatest hits here in your genre? Yeah, I, this is one of like the sort of the wars that goes on all the time is what what is in the canon, right? Everybody likes to argue about what is in the canon. What is like what is classics? It's always funny when mm-hmm. you scroll through. Like I'm on TikTok to my own shame. 
Um, but you see people like, oh, here are some like, here are some classics. And they'll like put up Ernest Hemingway or they'll put up uh, Virginia mm-hmm. Woolf or something like that. And you're like, okay, that's, those are, those are great things to read. Um, but dep- like it, it all depends on how we define classics. Um, so I'm certainly not like the one person to do so. Sure. Um, a lot of times when people say, classical literature or the classical world or classical antiquity or, or things like that what they generally are meaning um are like the ancient greek and roman world um hmm. so you're gonna uh, from i guess with with like the iliad and the odyssey some of those or like works and days like the early greeks like homer all the way through i guess through to the to the downfall of the roman uh, empire and uh, the western hmm. roman empire in in the 400s um so, I mean, classical oftentimes refers to that. So things that are written in, in Greek and classical Latin. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's not like a, it's not a question that has like a, a distinct like answer. It's, you know, um, you know, cause there, there are some things that, that can be considered like classics, but not classical. So, you know, gotcha. um, interesting. So when you, Broadly speaking, when you're using the phrase classical literature, you're looking at like, broadly speaking, the Greek Empire, all the way through to the fall of the Roman Empire, which would be roughly like what 900 years worth of potential books you could be reading. Yeah, uh, something, something, like, something that. like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's a it's a fairly large sweep uh, okay. of of things. So. You know, this, it's people say, "Oh, the classical author said this." I'm like, well, which, which ones? You know, who are you, who are you talking about? Even, you know, I mean, broadly, the Greeks and the Romans have dramatically different understandings of, of well, the world and how you how you live mm-hmm. in it and how you form societies. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it it would be like saying Americans think this, and then they like, you know, they Americans think hamburgers are great, and then you're like, well, what about George Washington? That guy never ate a hamburger in his life. <laughs> um, but we're like, we're both like, so it's just like a, it's just a really big, uh, topic to try to understand, um, that doesn't reduce very well. Gotcha. Okay. So, and that would include things from, you know, you talked about earlier, like, um, some of the philosophical works would be included in this. So like Plato's Republic, Aristotle's mm-hmm. ethics, these would be some of the things you would tip. If, if I was going to go get a degree in the humanities, would that be, some of the books I would be reading, not that you're yeah. working on a degree in the humanities. <laughs> well, so I did my, I did my undergrad in the humanities and I'm doing a, um, an MA in liberal arts. So it's one of those okay. things where you like the, the, those I I'm actually also to my, to my great shame, I'm not doing the mathematics second segment, uh, as, as an <laughs> MA student. Um, I wish I, I wish I'd planned better to be able to do that, but, uh, so yeah, as, as, a, as an undergrad, we read all sorts of things. Um, Everything from yeah, from Homer and Hesiod to, um, you know, the rest of the you know some of the Greek uh, playwrights, all the way th- you know, uh, and the, you know the Romans with you know Cicero and um, you know, some other his like contemporaries and things like that, all the way through to um, the medieval world. Um, Augustine has that weird sort of like right on the on on the line between the, the ancient and the medieval, okay. the you know Thomas Aquinas. Um, all the way through to like to Shakespeare, who is, you know, who is, you know, very modern, uh, at least, mm-hmm. especially compared to some of the others. Um, but then, you know, it took, you know, reading you know, Flannery O'Connor and, uh, all the way through to, you know, 
works that are published within the last 50. So yeah, it's, it's an, it's another one of those questions. Like, what do we mean by classical versus the humanities? Um, Cause gotcha. the humanities I think is much, much broader than, than the classics. With the humanities, liberally speaking, what's the cutoff? If the classical period is liberally speaking, the end of the Roman empire, what is it, you know, liberally, broadly speaking for the humanities, like the 1950s? Am I reading Tolkien Um, and calling it quits or? No, I think, I mean, the humanities will end when humanity itself ends or humanity itself stops thinking. I mean, it's, it's, it's an ongoing, uh, to be fair, this is, this is how I think about it. So you'll find other authors and thinkers who are much smarter than me who will tell me how wrong I am. But like, I like human, the humanist disciplines are things that we, we still contribute to today. Um, You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's stuff that we have, you know, a lot of these things seem like they're solved. Um, Okay. Well, democracy is good. And you go, okay, well, what do you, first of all, like, are you sure? Um, What do you mean by that? Like who gets, um, I mean, sometimes people ask those in disingenuously, but you know, sometimes you like, you have to like, well, like we've, we've thought this for a long time. Like, are are we still sure about that? You know? So these are, these are ongoing questions we ask uh, today, tomorrow, hopefully, uh, you know, a hundred years from now, I don't, whenever, you know, the, the kingdom comes, I mean, hopefully the humanities continue even, even after that, you know, if, if, Hmm. if everything ends at, you know, at the resurrection and, and we kind of just like, have nothing, no intellectual life for ourselves. After that, I think that would be a, a dramatic uh, downgrade for for humanity. I think God made us with with minds to think and to reason, and I think mm. it would be. Um, I, mean, I won't. I won't. I think I don't think that God would expect us to to put that all aside uh, once mm. the new creation comes. I think that I think this will continue as long as 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 humanity exists. All right continue as long as humanity exists so once either the robot overlords take over and terminators are running this place or if society starts looking a lot like the movie idiocracy then we need to start worrying let's talk let's talk iliad and the odyssey now uh so who's this homer guy or i think i looked it up omeros who's this omeros guy or amaros amaros guy uh, we can we can call him Homer. That's the that's the name that, that I know him by. So that's uh, you. You can be cooler than I am and call him by by his uh, his Greek name. I'm just gonna. And he um, lives on Evergreen Terrence in Springfield, but I don't know which uh, Springfield. Okay. Yeah, I don't think anybody does. Uh, I think that's part of the point. Um, well, I mean, that's to be fair. That's part of what uh, one of like part of Homer's lore is that there's really not a whole lot of biographical information about Homer. Um, there's even, I guess, question about whether Homer was a real person. What, you know, was, I, so I don't, I don't know. I, um, one of my, one of my sort of annoying things is I don't, I don't care that much. Right? It's the same thing with like Shakespeare. Okay. Like, oh, who's the real Shakespeare? Like, I don't, I don't care. Uh, are the plays good? Are they interesting? <laughs> are they enjoyable? What do they, what do they have to, what do the plays say? Um, is I think more important than than whether you know Homer was one one person or multiple people or, or whatnot. Um, but essentially, Homer was uh, an ancient Greek poet. Uh, tells these stories. Um, you know, there are, there are other things that, that we have from Homer, um, like Homeric hymns. Uh, 
hmm. which I have not read, but want to. But so these these two great sort of foundational stories, the Iliad, um, uh, which is the story of a portion of the Trojan War, and then the Odyssey, which is um, uh, the story of Odysseus uh, attempting to return home following that. Um, so that's okay. sort of very broad uh, what those two are. Okay. So Homer, we'll stick with Homer. I have I've heard this debate before. I think it was on an episode of The Art of Manliness about whether or not it was one person, multiple people, but you know, when we understand ancient mythology, like this stuff was passed around orally for so long that yeah, it probably has multiple sources even if it was all written down by one guy, you know. At least that would be my understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, even like the advent of writing would have come later than some of this, I think. So, uh, at least like formalized. Uh, mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, it definitely was the uh, part of the part of the difficulty with reading the Iliad and the Odyssey is they are they're not songs, but they're like they're sung poems, right? They there's rhyme mm-hmm. in, in like the ancient uh, Greek that that doesn't really necessarily translate well to English, and there's there's all sort of stuff that's very strange. But it's I mean, it was it was performed. It wasn't just, mm. um, you know, it, it would have been it would have been really strange for the vast majority of human history for for one person to just sit down in a quiet room and read the Odyssey for a couple of hours. Uh, huh. That would have been that would have been an, an that's that is an anomalous uh, way to interact with it. Um, so in a way, watching the movie Troy is closer to the <laughs> that may be oh, too much. Okay. That may be too far, um, <laughs> but. Like there, there's something to that, that, you know, it was, it was, it was performed. It was, um, you know, passed around. It was, uh, you know, done in different places all, all over, um, the, the ancient world, Greek world. So is it better to understand this as a play then? Like we should think of this as a play rather than strictly speaking, a, a book of poems or something. Well, I don't, it's, it's, so it's not really a play in that like there are characters, but they're not like portrayed by different actors on a stage it, it would have been you know a, yeah. a guy standing up or i don't really know like how exactly how like women might have done it but the yeah, person standing up in the middle of people and saying you know sing O muses of the rage of achilles the son of peleus you know obviously in some sort of you know, like an incantation and it, it would have been much easier to remember that way as well because these are hefty uh, works so it would have been more akin to i mean i guess like a really really long song monologue um, then I guess like a uh, uh, like a play as we as we might know it. This kind of reminds me. I don't know if this is a a good uh, comparison or not, but it kind of reminds me of how we should actually be reading the epistles in Scripture because we've gotten such into the habit of like, okay, here's this paragraph. I'm going to read this paragraph of verses, or I'm going to read this chapter or this heading of verses, where in reality, they're, they're letters. So how they would have most likely have been read is out loud by someone who could read all at once to everybody that was there. And that's really how we should more so be interacting with that form of literature as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think more, especially Protestant churches. I, as a as a Protestant, I'll, I'll take shots at my own. Um, 
Oh, like we do we, that all the time here. Go right ahead. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I think one of the like I don't know. Growing up, I heard like, oh, the Catholics don't read the Bible, and I'm like, well, we only read like four verses at a time. So, like, I mean, none of these are. I, mean, I shouldn't say none of Romans and and the Corinthian verses or uh, letters are pretty long. Like once you get into like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, sure. you know, and on, they're they're short. They're fairly short, a few pages long. Just just have somebody stand up and read it. You know, even if it's just a, like the beginning of a sermon series, um, you know, just take a couple minutes, read the whole thing, try to understand that this is all one cohesive work, right? So that way you don't get to, mm-hmm. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and go, aha, see, I can do whatever I want. And you're like, no, my guy, that's not, that is not what Paul is trying to say. And you would know <laughs> that if you under, if you had read like, any of the stuff that's around that, um, you know, you would, you would have, you would have picked that up. Um, so yeah, reading, reading the scriptures, um, in, in, in larger chunks, trying to understand, you know, that these are, these are not, I mean, even just breaking them down by verses can kind of make it more difficult to, to really get that, that they're not like isolated, um, statements that they really do work together. Sure. Sure. Okay. So now on with the works themselves, you kind of, you gave like this nice succinct, Iliad is about the Trojan War. Odyssey is about Odysseus returning from war. Okay, like I said, I'm pretty sure I didn't have to read any of this in high school. Maybe like one section of it. I went to a small Christian school and we can poke fun at small Christian schools all day long if we wanted to. But one key thing to understand that's different between a a Christian school and a public school is how English classes work. The public school system focuses more on literature. The Christian school system focuses more on grammar. And there's reasons for both. We don't have to get into them unless you want to. Um, So here's all the fragmented stuff I know about the Iliad and the Odyssey, and you can help me figure some of this out. So there's a war against Greece and Troy because of a woman named Helen or Helena. And Achilles gets shot in the ankles and something about a wooden horse that's in every movie. And that's really it. That's really all I know about what's going on in these books. So what am I missing here? Can you, you know, know, maybe provide a little bit of context as to what is going on in these books? Uh, Sure. Yeah. So, Actually, in in all reality, the the Trojan horse and the death of Achilles don't occur in the Iliad. Uh, those are in those are elsewhere uh, to be found. Um, oh, okay. But and so, yeah. So the I mean, I guess back the, so the Trojan War began. Um, there was a wedding, and this is what I, I think. Is, and I'm I might be totally wrong about this, um, but if I'm not, this is really interesting. That the wedding is between. Um, uh, Peleus and Thetis, who happen to be the the parents, right? Peleus, the human father, and Thetis, the the divine mother of Achilles. So they okay. have a they like they get married. Uh, all the gods are invited except one, who is like the goddess Discord. Uh, Discord, as you can guess by uh, her name, doesn't like this and tries to sow Discord <laughs> at the wedding. So you get this like the story of the. Uh, to be fair, like I'll, this is not really recounted recounted fully in the Iliad either, um, but she throws okay. this golden apple into the wedding and on it is written like to the fairest. Um, and so there's this question between um, Hera, Aphrodite and 
uh, Athena as to like which of us three is the is the fairest goddess, right? Like, like hmm. they want to be it, all three of them want to be it, so they each promise something different to Paris, who is the the son of Priam, the 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 king of Troy, uh, and um, Paris chooses Aphrodite because she promises him the love of the most beautiful woman in the world. Hmm. Uh, who unfortunately happens to be Helen, uh, the the wife of uh, Menelaus, the king of Sparta. Um, okay. So, uh, which is a problem, right? Um, sure. So, uh, there's there's different uh, opinions as to how willing and how much Helen wanted to go, um, but regardless, Helen is in is in Troy, uh, and then so y- you said like the Greeks, which is. Uh, a very modern term, right? Like the, the the sort of what we see as Greece today, we, uh, that whole peninsula would have been divided up into much smaller like kingdoms, and so like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of like when you see like there's a lot of kings that are fighting uh, alongside um, each other, uh, coming together to 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 try to um, to sack Troy, and we pick up with. Uh, the Iliad in, in like the last in like nine something years into the Iliad. Um, so that's where we get. Um, mm. So that's, that's where it starts is, is, is almost this 10 year war. Oh. We were picking up well into the war. Like the stalemate, the, gotcha. the sort of Greek. Um, I'll, ju- I'll just say Greek because it's easier that way. Um, the mm-hmm. Greek, um, uh, you know, forces all the, the allies together. Have been stymied, unable to to um, uh, really make any uh, pr- real progress, uh, and and so the the book begins you know with with the very famous line, "Sing of the rage of Achilles, the son of Peleus," mm-hmm. and it goes on and on. It talks about how like this is like the downfall of of, of many uh, of the Greeks, and so it talks about some of the the squabbles between uh, Achilles and Agamemnon. Um, who like Achilles is mad about being dishonored by Agamemnon, uh, who stole his prize. So he decides to actually sit out a good portion of the rest of the book. So for most of the fighting, you actually don't get Achilles. Um, hmm. uh, so yeah, that's so, I mean, uh, well, I'll, I'll come back to that here in a bit, but um, so, you know, there's, there's all this, uh, it goes on with all this slaying back and forth, you know, the gods are getting involved and, you know, with with humans and then fighting each other and humans are fighting each other and the gods as well. Um, so there, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, fighting going on. Um, eventually, sort of climaxes with um, like a, a like a, a pre climax with um, the death of Patroclus. The um, uh, I guess it depends on how you how 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 you read it. Uh, the uh, very close friend. Or, or lover of uh, uh, of Achilles, um, ah. Achilles finds this uh, highly distasteful uh, because he <laughs> he loved Patroclus, um, and so uh, he decides to to go into and rejoin the war. There's uh, he goes and there's eventually this this ultimately uh, climactic battle between him and Hector. Spoiler alert: Achilles wins. Uh, he drags okay. the body of Hector around. Um, uh, Troy for for days and days uh, until eventually the gods have to intervene and tell him to stop. Uh, Priam comes out of uh, out of Troy 
and and asks for the body back and then there's like the funeral uh, of Hector and that's the end right like the the war oh, okay. is still going on even at the end uh, of the Iliad so it's it's still it's and it's a fascinating that's way too much um of a, of a uh, an overview <laughs> for that. but uh, it's really it's a fascinating thing because there's so much going on in there i mean there's a lot of like blood it's extremely graphic language okay uh, i mean I, like you, you really can get a very clear picture of what's going on with some of the fighting uh, from the way that Homer describes it. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, censorship was not a thing back then because, like I said last last week, we talked about three hundred. We've also have done a review. I had a couple guests on to review the nineteen eighty one film Clash of the Titans to kind of have that conversation of Perseus and like Greek mythology in general. And man, that stuff is. It's a soap opera. Once the gods start getting involved with stuff, it's just, yeah. it's graphic. It's unsettling. It's everything. And Greek culture, as you said earlier, just kind of broadly that using that term Greek, Greek culture back then was just, it was different to say the least. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. And it's, it's fascinating because that's, that's a critique that, uh, of the gods especially that exists uh from from even some of like the pre-socratic philosophers that they're like oh these mm-hmm. gods suck all the way through to augustine at the beginning of his city of gods or the city of god he says something to the effect of like well you, like your gods are are absolutely immoral they're like heinous actors like they do terrible things like why would we listen to their moral judgments about anything um mm-hmm. so like that this you know uh, one of the things with you know, sort of the, the cultural background that we have today is you think of God as this, like, even if you're not Christian, there's this general assumption that God is supposed to be moral. God is supposed to be good. Mm. It's supposed to be just, sure. um, and so like some of that, but like the gods here are very much, uh, not, they're very human as well. Uh, even, even the gods are, have a lot of very human, uh, characteristics. Interesting. So the, so that's the Iliad. So who's this Odysseus guy? What is what does he have to do with anything? <laughs> you, had, you didn't mention him at all in the other book. No, so take us he, take us broadly through the Odyssey now. Yeah, so uh, Odysseus does show up quite a bit in the Iliad. He's he pops up over okay. and over and over again. Um, he's described as being very uh, like clever, very witty, very intelligent. Um, so he he plays a lot of uh, a part in helping. Uh, plan uh, not in not in the Iliad, but he is he's like the I believe the principal like uh, you know creator of the the Trojan horse, like that whole idea to to get inside oh, Troy okay. was I I believe Odysseus's uh, idea. So he is uh, what I like Emily Wilson's description at the very beginning of her translation of the Odyssey uh, says sing of a complex complex or complicated uh, either complex or complicated um, man, uh, and you really do get like because. Uh, you know, we I've been reading this for class, and one thing that we talk about is like, what does it mean to have glory? And you would think that Odysseus, I mean, essentially has the one of the greatest and most long-lasting stories uh, is his name. Essentially, uh, it's named after him. You would think that that's glorious, but there's also there's a whole lot here that we can that we can uh, ask questions about. What does what does glory mean? But this is his. So he's been gone for 10 years in the Trojan War, and now he takes another you know, 10 years to get back home to, wow. to Ithaca, um, which at the beginning you find out like everybody else is home. All the rest of the, the survivors of the Trojan War have made it home, um, 
but Odysseus has been waylaid by the gods, um, particularly Poseidon, Poseidon, who is not happy mm-hmm. about uh, the way that Odysseus um, put out the eye of uh, his son, the the Cyclops. But like, so that's a fairly famous story. It's, he puts out the eye of the Cyclops, who happens to be the son of, of the god of the sea. And so there's a lot of uh, Odysseus being like pushed around um, the Mediterranean, all sorts of different mm-hmm. hijinks and adventures that he and his slowly dwindling crew uh, get into um, before eventually um, he, he does find his way back home and has to uh, essentially reconquer his own, his own home. Hmm. Interesting. So when it comes to both of these works, we'll start with the Iliad and the Odyssey specifically. Um, why, if, you know, if you're a humanist or a Christian humanist, I get the impression that this is sacred text in a way, like this is something you're supposed to read. But why would, you know, a guy like me or some of the listeners who aren't humanists, we are Christians, but maybe we're not humanists. What is the benefit of taking the time to read these two hefty books? Um, yeah. So I, I think that, uh, any book that can be considered worth reading is one that can't, that couldn't possibly be uh, reduced to its Sparknotes uh, plot summary. Like if all okay. you knew about a book was its plot and you were like, okay, good enough, then that's just not, like, that's not at all. So, like, I, I gave a very broad understanding of uh, the, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, and so if you walked away, like, if, if you could, like, you, but that doesn't really get at all into what's going on in these books. Um, sure. So that what the, the, some of the, some of the questions that they're asking, some of the, the situations they're, they're raising some of the, like, you know, the, the various ways uh, uh, that they, that they tell these stories um, really um, challenges the way that we ought to think about uh, the world, our lives in it. Um, so, Oh, so I'll come back to this. Uh, so back to plot, what I found mm-hmm. interesting on, on this read through uh, of of these books that I just did, or in in the middle of uh, of doing right now, is uh, Homer doesn't seem to respect um, the idea of spoilers. So, oh, like, okay. in the, like <laughs> so in uh, in the Iliad, right? It, uh, you get multiple times you're told exactly what's going to happen. Like, there's a prophecy about you know exactly how Patroclus is going to die. That's going to enrage Achilles, and Achilles is going to kill Hector. Right? Like, you're like, okay, this is. Like oh. this is the plot of the book, and Homer's giving it to you well before halfway through, and even in the Odyssey, right? You're you're not even done with the first book, uh, the first like the introduction to the book where it says Odysseus is going to try to get his men back home safely, and he's going to fail. Um, and so like, oh. from the very beginning, you're like you like you're disabused of this like, and there's no suspense, there's no tension. You know that Odysseus is going to fail. Um, so again, it's hmm. not just about the plot; it's about what it uh, what it's. Um, like a lot of a lot about like how it's telling the story. What are some of the some of the you know situations that people are ending up in? What does some of the language tell us? Um, but so back to your question about what, why should we care? Because um, mm-hmm. theoretically, none of us are going to stab each other with broad spears. Um, but I do I think, hope, hope uh, yeah, I hope so too. Um, but so we do face similar types of of questions in our lives, so similar situations. So one of the greats. Um, 
a famous sort of device in the Iliad is is the choice of Achilles. He's told uh, mm-hmm. before he leaves for the Trojan War, you, you have you have a choice between two fates. Which, first of all, a, you, a human getting to choose their fate is is wild. Um, mm-hmm. But your two fates are you can you can go to Troy, you will gain immense glory, uh, and your name will be known through the ages. But you will die. In, in like on the field of battle in Troy, or you can stay home and you can live a long life and you will be forgotten on your death. Like that, th- like that's, those are, that's oh, his choice. Okay. And, and Achilles chooses to go to, to Troy and he chooses to fight. And uh, I mean, I think it's fair to say he has won glory down through the ages with like his name being passed on. We're still talking about him, you know, more than 2000 years later. That's a, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. But we, so it's the same question. It's not nearly the same stakes, but a lot of like we have we have similar questions today. Like I imagine somebody, um, so like it's it's fairly well known that you know like the president of the United States like that ages you dramatically more mm-hmm. than like just not being the president of the United States. So there's really like would like would so like not as somebody who will never be faced with this choice like w- will you choose to run <laughs> for the presidency of the united states knowing that it will adversely affect your life but you like you will you can win glory and, and fame you can do great things or will you stay home and and do um you know live a normal life and get to live longer right so this quite this this hmm. the, the choice between glory and longevity uh is something is a question that we maybe they'll all face, but a lot of people are going to, to encounter. And so it's something definitely worth, worth considering. Why is, why is Achilles choosing this? Right. And we, we sort of, not to be, I don't, I don't I'm not going to place any judgment on it, but like during the pandemic, right. We faced similar questions along that. Okay. Mm. Do we gather together, uh, you know, in, in any way, shape or form, and and experience the the richness of human community, or do we stay home uh, and like have our food dropped on the on the stoop and like never talk to people until this all goes away, and 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 get to live a little bit longer? Right? So that's like a legitimate question mm-hmm. that a lot of people sure. had to answer, and a lot of people had very had very varying uh, answers to that. How do how do they do that? And it's hard. Um, to make blanket judgments about how people did certain things. Um, like I do think that there, like, there's a way to look at it and say that, that was a foolish choice to do such and such thing. But also there are other, like there are other people like, you know, churches, how important is it to gather together as a church? Um, and so like, that's a, that's a question. And that's, it's something that, that reading through the Iliad and trying to understand, like trying to encounter that world uh, through that story can help us to think about that. That's a very interesting question to wrestle with wrestle with too, this idea of glory or longevity. Cause I don't think we normally think in terms of that. You know, I don't think you know, you brought up a very you brought up a very good, very recent time where we all had to process that question with the pandemic. But it makes me wonder if we you know, I, as Christians, we often run to the do the thing that brings God the most glory, which maybe you can kind of work that into this um, question as well. But this idea of glory versus longevity in your decision making, I wonder how that would change how we make decisions. 
You know what I mean? Like if we thought in terms of what is good, because either way, both of them are working distant. You're making a decision now that's going to affect you in the future. And, and if you choose longevity in the very long distant future. So to wrestle with that question and to use a work like the Iliad, where you might not get an answer, you get the answer you're looking for or be put into a situation that's going to be very like one-to-one comparison type of thing. But it makes me wonder like how we would change as people if we thought more in those terms of, do you want longevity or do you want glory or whatever term works better for you? Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. There's a there's a book by uh, Alan Jacobs. He he wrote called uh, Breaking Bread with the Dead, and he said that one of the great uh, benefits of reading older texts uh, is that um, we we see the, we can like see the world and inhabit the world a bit through people who see the world and inhabit the world dramatically differently than we do. Um, mm. Just the sort of basic fundamental assumptions about reality, about community, about what makes a life worth living. Uh, these are all things that uh, that Achilles would have answered in much different ways than I do. Uh, and that doesn't make mm-hmm. everything he says right or everything that he says wrong. And it doesn't make everything I think right or everything wrong. It's just, uh, I think C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. Like we look back and go, oh, mm. these idiots didn't understand title functions. And so they clearly can't have anything to say about you know how, how we form communities. Um, they also say that Unfortunately, like reading books per, by people in the future would be beneficial. We simply don't have those yet. Um, and so we, we're sort of stuck with people from the past. But they, you know, for, for better or worse, like we have, like we're all human. Uh, so that's, mm-hmm. again, back to the, the humanities. Like we're all human. These are these are human stories. Like I said, even the gods uh, are, 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 are fairly human stories. Um, and so um, listening to with intellectual humility, listening to the way people answer questions differently than we do, right? So there's, uh, I mean, there are a lot of people who chose, um, and, and, you know, uh, to, to, you know, the vaccine and, and, and boosters Mm -hmm. and masks and isolation and, um, distancing. Uh, so there, there's a choice being made there, right? Like it's, you're always sort of, I think as Christians, one of the difficult things is we tend to sort of say that we're choosing between good and evil, um, which is not necessarily Mm -hmm. the case. A lot of times these are, these are choices between two goods and it's not black and white, which one is the correct answer, right? Like what level of safety is the right one? Um, and it's, it's not, it's not obvious all the time. Um, but we're making these choices and we're, but we're also meeting people from the past who are, who are telling us something about how they made those same choices, uh, again, in different circumstances, but they're making very similar choices. Uh, and we, we ought to, we ought to learn from that. We ought to be just mm-hmm. like shut up for, so as much as like, it's good to come with your own questions. It's also good to, uh, to just kind of shut up and listen to what the author is saying, uh, for a little bit. Um, and to actually like to, to, to honestly interact with these stories, um, you know, which is, which is hard as, as a critic. I knew, I know the first time I read David Hume, uh, in undergrad, and even the time I'm reading him, uh, earlier this year in, in grad school, he's, he's very harsh on Christianity. And so 
it, it was difficult for me to, to, to give him any benefit of the doubt. Cause I'm like, well, you're just dumb and you hate what I believe. And so I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to say sure. that I'm just going to hate what you think. And like, well, it's not, it's not beneficial to anybody. It doesn't do him any good. It doesn't do me any good. I'm just wasting my time. And so it's much better um, to, to have the intellectual humility say, maybe he has something that he can teach me, right? Like this is the same sort sure. of idea, um, you know, that God causes uh, rain to fall on the unjust and the just alike. Um, you know, this, uh, you know, your Christians. So there's, you know, the question of what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? Like, is it like mm-hmm. if we're, if we're Christians, like we know Christ, we have the highest truth, right? Christ is the way, the truth and the life. So why, who cares what Plato has to say? Who cares what sure. Aristotle has to say? Who cares what David Hume has to say or, or Hegel or any of these like non-Christian philosophers? Um, I don't know if Hegel was Christian. I don't, I'm not going to put it, but like Nietzsche, right? Like who cares what Nietzsche has sure. to say? The guy said God was dead. So like we can just ignore what he, well, no, like he was a human. Like he has perhaps something interesting and, and worthwhile to say to us. And it's our responsibility um, to, to shut up and, and listen for a little bit and try to understand that and see if, if there really is anything that does uh, accord with the truth that God has given to us. Wow. I really don't know what to say to all that because it was so good. I'm just going to reiterate a lot. <laughs> I would just end up repeating a lot of what you said. No. Yeah. I, uh, I agree. Especially with that part there of sometimes you just need to shut up and listen. Sometimes it's good to just take in what other people have to say, even if it is David Hume running down Christians and at least sit with it and see what he's going to say, what others are going to say and grow from it. And uh, by the way, anybody who quotes C.S. Lewis gets an automatic re-invite to the show. So good job on that because we're very pro C.S. Lewis here. Um, All right. Uh, Before we get out of here, let's go ahead and start wrapping up this episode. But before we get out of here, every once in a while, I like to end the show with what I call a culturally relevant conversation, something that's going on in the world that may or may not have anything to do with what we talked about here on the show. We always try to be somewhat culturally relevant with what we talk about, um, but to talk about something else. And you definitely seem like the right person to talk about a certain a certain thing that's been going around on the internet um, where many women have recently discovered that their male significant other, I'll just put it that way, that it is common for us men to think a lot about the Roman empire Mm, and women have never spent any time thinking about the Roman empire, apparently. So Joe, uh, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? Yeah, so I'll be honest with you. I think a lot more about the Roman Republic than I do about the Roman Empire. Okay. Um, I think, uh, which uh, is fairly frequently, I won't say every day. Uh, I think most of the people that do say every day are lying. Um, but, <laughs> you know, regardless. Are you, familiar with the, are you familiar with this? I know you said you're on TikTok. Yeah. So are you familiar with this trend that's been going on? Yeah. I've, I've seen it a little bit. Uh, I, I posted about it the other day. Some of the, some of the books that I've read about, you know, the, about Rome and I took a class on, uh, on the Roman Republic in, in undergrad. Um, one of my favorite classes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think especially as Americans, um, like it's, it's really, it would be almost impossible to overstate the influence of the Roman Republic 
on the founding of our our country. So mm-hmm. um, if you if you're interested at all in like what it means to be an American, what it means to like how how can we live, how can we like do any of this stuff together, um, it, it would behoove you to uh, to to at least have a passing interest in 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 the, in the Roman Republic. Why did they do some of the things they do? Right? Why do they mm-hmm. Why do they you know have some of the you know, consider some of these things as virtuous as they do? Right? This idea that mm-hmm. a, a leader would rise up, take uh, authority for a certain amount of time, and then willingly lay it down and return to right that sort of like the the thing that George Washington was trying to emulate. Cincinnati was mm-hmm. you know a, a Roman dictator um, without the without all the laden terminology that we have on the term dictator today, right? Like you're just somebody with absolute okay. power, uh, whose job was to come in, but who in, in theory could have taken power and, and gone for an indefinite amount of time, decided to lay it down. Right. So this like idea of a voluntary, uh, for the, for the most part of America was a voluntary two term presidency was something that goes back to the, to the Roman Republic. Hmm. Um, and there's, there's a whole lot, um, one of my favorite writers is, is Cicero. Uh, I, I like his writing. A lot of the things he thinks about, he's um, one of the, one of those um, is not, is not a Christian Roman, um, but you, you, you could fairly easily see him finding his way to Christianity. Um, sure. I hope, I don't know. Um, I like <laughs> to think so. Um, one of the, like a late Roman Republic, uh, Republican uh, writer. Um, so yeah, I don't know, to, to answer your question, uh, the, the empire a little bit, um, the, the Republic, uh, a, a bit more, a bit more. Okay. And you think anybody who's claiming they think about it every single day is probably lying just to get the clicks for their social media. <laughs> yeah. I generally assume that most people who post a lot, uh, especially on like TikTok, that half the stuff that, um, they, they do is, is performative anyway. It's, it's just like sure. the authentic, authenticity be like, oh, look at my reaction to this. I'm like, how much of that reaction involved you setting up a camera, you know? Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it does lose a lot. That's why I post all my fiery tweets without with abandon. I just say things and let the let the hate come back. There we go. Uh, as for me, it's like once a week because obviously once Claire saw it, she had Ooh. to ask me. I think right. it's like once a week. But for me, it always, I don't know why you had a really good answer there with like understanding America. I always think about like, what did roads look like back then and the aqueduct system and like buildings? I'm very, for some reason, architecture suddenly and infrastructure suddenly becomes very interesting to me when I think about Rome. And uh, there is a plan to do a Rome series uh, off the back of this ancient greece series in the future here on my seminary life so knowing that you said cicero is one of your favorites we'll uh circle back for cicero then at some point all right sounds good i look forward to to hearing that one all right all right well on that note let's go ahead and finish things out thank you all for listening to today's episode uh thank you joe for taking time to be here (laughs) and to record with me um, as always, listeners, you can go into the description of this episode to find links to all the important stuff, website, uh, shop, social media, all that good stuff. Uh, My Seminary Life is a part of the Anazao Ministries Podcast Network, or AMP for short, where you can check out other great shows like Systematic Geekology 
Let Nothing Move You and the recently added Hockey Night in the Carolinas, because we even have a hockey show here on this Christian podcast network. Ain't it great? Um, Please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts and uh, share this episode with someone that you think should become a Christian humanist. (laughs) That is it. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, this is Brandon signing, signing off, reminding you that theology is for everyone. So keep on studying.